Good morning to each one. Thank you, Brother Rich Bowman, for the introduction and the recap on that. That was something that uh, many weren't here might know what the subject is. Thank you, youth, for this opportunity also to share to you. As I've mentioned before, I value the opportunity to share to youth. You know, it's so valuable to know that our next generation receives a word of truth. You know, when we buy a new piece of equipment, a truck or a tractor, we don't wait until it's, it's uh, old and worn out and the tires are getting bald before we put it into service and start using it. The Bible says it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, and I love to see youth that are willing to, to put that yoke on. It's not, a, it's not just a harness, it's a yoke. It's being yoked together with Christ. Well, praise God for the morning and for the opportunity to share again. And as Rich mentioned, we're on a a subject, we're on a roll here. And uh, this morning I want to look at a subject that uh, flows along with this. It's somewhat on the subject of giving this morning. And um, I I enjoy the blessing of being able to speak to a congregation that doesn't suspect me of any ulterior motives in this subject. Many people's mouth is stopped because they, because they receive tithe or blessing from the church in financial things, and uh, they can't speak on this or else they're suspected of an ulterior motive, and I'm thankful for that this morning that I can speak to you clearly without that, without reservation. And... Uh, because I believe it's a huge blessing for the church, for every individual here to be able to give. That's what we've been called to in this, in this life is giving. And it, it's not just throwing our money away. It's not the act of getting rid of our finances. It's the act of being a blessing. And we want to look at that some more in our, in our second session. But this morning I want to begin with, with what I would title a promise that's misrepresented or a truth that's misinterpreted. And uh, let's, let's turn in our Bibles, if you have, I'm going to be reading out of three different Gospels, just a few verses, here at a promise that God has given us, that Jesus taught us. Before I do that, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 that says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. You know what happens to bread when you cast it in the water? Maybe if the bread is really old and stale and hard and crusty, it pretty much maintains its character. But if you cast bread upon the waters, it dissolves, doesn't it? There's nothing left of it. You're not going to find it after many days. I'm sorry. So what's, what's he trying to tell us? The fish are going to eat it, first of all, aren't they? It's an act of faith. He said it's an act of faith. And it goes along with what I want to share out of the Gospels here. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 29, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, and brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold. Shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Now, this is not just in one gospel. 
Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, notice he left out wives, with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. Lest you think he's teaching polygamy here. No. But notice, it's, it's clearly saying in this life. Did you, did you catch that? In this life. It's a promise. Let's go on to Luke 18.28. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. A, diris, a direct response to Peter in response to what they had physically left as, as disciples. We have left all and followed thee. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or parents or brethren or sister or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come everlasting life. So, can we imagine what Jesus is actually saying here? Now, we, now you could turn on your TV set or radio station to whatever radio you hear this morning and you might hear the same message. But I want, to, I want to share with you that I believe that they're misinterpreting this promise. This promise is real, but because of we see it being misinterpreted and, and misrepresented, we, we basically cut this promise off and we say that's, that's not a reality. That's not true because people misrepresent this truth. You'll hear any, a, uh, a preacher saying, okay, if you'll give $100 to my ministry, you're going you're gonna to get back $10,000. The Bible promises you you'll get a hundredfold of whatever you give. Now, will we take this promise because people have done that to it and we will just say it doesn't mean anything? Or will we, or will we search it out and seek, seek for the truth in that promise? What do we think the disciples thought when Jesus told it to them? Do you think they believed that it was the truth? Now, let's carefully examine this. Jesus did not say that when you, when you invest in my kingdom, you'll, you'll receive back in the same currency. He did not say that the ministry you hear on the radio station is the kingdom of God that you should invest in. So there are several misrepresentations there. The promise of God is not necessarily to some individual to say that you'll turn his $100 into $10,000. That's not the promise. The promise is a return of your investment in the kingdom of heaven. This, it's a promise. It's there. It's real. It's true. And people exploit that. There is no promise that it will come back to you in the same currency, and it's no promise that that, that that ministry that's making that promise to you is true. We must invest in God's kingdom in order for that promise to be true to us. But in light of this promise, Jesus' promise here, no one else has the, has the right to make a promise like this but Jesus. But he promises that in his kingdom, Jesus is setting up his kingdom, the kingdom that we now live in, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that in this kingdom, 
Our investments will be worth a hundredfold. Our investments into this kingdom will be worth a hundredfold in this life now and in the life to come, eternal life. So what he's saying, as you invest in God's kingdom, maybe you have $10. He says, that's worth $1,000 in my kingdom. Maybe you have $100. Maybe you have $1,000. That's worth the, you know $100,000. What Jesus is saying, what you invest in my kingdom is far more valuable than if you leave it in your pocket. Or if you leave, and it's not just about money. You notice this, it's about time, it's about effort, it's about energy. And we'll be looking in our next session about the, about the motive. That's also very critical. But here we, we have a, a promise that's in our, in our generation is, is largely misrepresented. You know, if you give to this ministry, which happens to probably uh, enrich somebody already rich, it's not an act of, of, of investing in God's kingdom. Jesus, uh, God says, uh, he that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. God says, if you give to that poor person, it's my job to feed him. So I'm wor- So you're working for me and you have lent it to me. So God is interested in people that are willing to invest in his kingdom. But it's an act of faith. You cast your bread upon the waters. You're not going to get bread back. You'll find it after many days, but it'll be in a different form. That bread might feed a fish. But you're going to be rewarded for that. You know, I think that our eyes are too dim sometimes to see the many ways that God can reward us. You know, God's values are so much higher than our values, and God doesn't reward us in a cheap way. He sees what we need. He doesn't see what we might even desire to have or want or something that seems attractive to us. When God rewards us for what we have invested, it doesn't necessarily come back to us in in dollar bills or into our bank account. God sees what is best for us, and he enriches our life. If you have a good marriage this morning, if you have a wife or a husband that loves you, if you have faithful children, if you have a, a spirit and an atmosphere of peace in your home, Isn't that a blessing? How much is it worth to you? You know, these things come to us as we invest in God's kingdom. These things come to us as we live a godly Christian life, as we put time and energy into God's kingdom. It's not so much about money. It's really not so much about money. It doesn't exclude money. And it doesn't exclude physical possessions. But prosperity in Christianity is truly eternal riches. Eternal riches. Many times people are having problems in their, maybe their marriages, maybe struggling in their homes, maybe, maybe in the church. My, my advice is make some investments in God's kingdom. Make some investments in God's kingdom. You know, there's a verse I want, I'd like to bring out, and I know all of us probably know this verse. It tells us that we are not to lay up treasures on earth. It says that we are rather to lay up treasures in heaven. And uh, it's an interesting fact here that God wants us to lay up a treasure in heaven. And I'd like to spend this morning speaking about 
our heavenly bank account. You know, each one of us, as we invest in the kingdom, we develop a, a heavenly bank account. And we actually have in heaven an account that is laid up for us and that we can draw from. I, I don't believe it's a savings account. I believe it's actually a checking account. I think it's something that's available to us. The verse there in Romans says that we have access by grace into, by access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And I think that by faith we can access this account. We see that the word account, it's a biblical word. And you may think, you know, how could God possibly keep track of everybody's bank account? When we realize the infinity of God, we realize that's so far beneath him. You know, God, I think scientists are saying now that there's somewhere around a some billion of trillion of stars in the universe. And God says he has them by name. And, you know, in, in creation it says, and he made the stars, just as a, like a, a little side note. So God, to God, I just, I think we need to realize how infinite God is. God is so far beyond any pressure from this accounting system that we're worried about that he might not be able to, te- to keep up with. But God has an account. Martin Luther made this statement. He says that what you do in your house is worth as much as you did it up in heaven for our Lord God. For what we do in our calling here on earth in accordance to his word and command, he counts as if it were done in heaven for him. Therefore, we should accustom ourselves to think of our position and work as sacred and well-pleasing to God not on account of the position or the work, but on account of the word and of the faith from which the obedience and the work flow. So our work here is clearly obvious to God. God knows what we do. He sees even the motive for which we do it. And he has an account, a personal account set up for each one of us. This passage here is in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth corrupt and where th- and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not l- break through or steal. And we see that in this life, none of our finances are secure. Even the best bank account that doesn't cheat you or steal from you, you're still going to lose it through inflation. I mean, there's, there's nothing secure in this life. You, there's no way you can hold, grab something and hold on to it. In essence, it's, in essence, it's fleeting. And it's, and it's quite possible to be stolen from you. But in heaven, he says, no hackers are getting into your account. It's secure. In heaven, it's secure. You can put it there and it's not going to be stolen from you. And it's not going to deteriorate through time. In fact, it's going to gain interest, he says, a hundredfold. So it's it's reality. How, How real do we believe it is? How much do we really want to prosper in the kingdom of heaven? How much are we willing to, by faith, throw that bread upon the water? It surely looks like a foolish act, doesn't it? Casting that bread upon the water seems like the absolutely most ridiculous thing we could do. But it's an act of faith. 
investing that time in an individual that didn't even appreciate it from you. Another verse here in is Galatians 6, 8. He says, for he that soweth to the flesh or investing in the flesh shall of the flesh reach, reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Clearly showing us here that it's very possible to become weary in well-doing. Over a period of time, we don't see the results and we don't see the, uh, the outcome and so we get weary. But he says, don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He's basically telling us that the time of reaping and the time of harvesting is always always has a season. You don't plant your peas today and, and, and uh, reap them tomorrow. No, it takes a time and it, it has to come to maturity. And it, has to, it takes its time to grow and bear fruit. And that's the way it is with sowing and reaping. Maybe in your youth, you invest a lot in God's kingdom and you, and you, and you sow a lot of good seeds. And it may, it may take a period a season of time for that to begin to bear fruit in your life. It takes time. And if you're impatient, it's going to be very difficult. Second Corinthians 9 and 6 says, But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Did you see that? He didn't say God's going to enrich your bank account. He says no. He says God is able to make all grace abound to you. Do you need grace in your life? We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. I'd like to su suggest that this is a personal account that we have with God and we invest in it. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. You know, when somebody lays up treasures on earth, we call them maybe a miser or maybe we call them a pack rat. Let's be a miser in heaven. Let's be a pack rat for heaven. Let's don't be a pack rat in this earth and a miser in this earth. Lay up treasure in heaven. It's laid up there for you has an eternal benefit, and it also has a present benefit. That present benefit's just like that, that bread out there on the water. It doesn't look like it could do any good for anybody. It has already disintegrated. Probably the fish ate it. It's gone. I lost it. No, no, you haven't lost it because you've done it by faith and there's an account of it. And God is pouring grace into your life. God's, you know, there's so many times... Spiritual realities happen in our life. Miracles are happening all the time and we don't recognize them. There's days in our life when, when uh, we just have to say, we don't know how it worked out. You know, Sometimes we run out of something. Sometimes there's more of it than, than we need. But God is there. And there are situations where God, where we need the grace of God. And many times, as we invest in God's kingdom, there's a supernatural infusion of grace into our life. Blessing that's there. 
in that relationship. Goes on to say here in 2 Corinthians, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things. You having all sufficiency in all things. Every need is being met in your life. You know, each one of us here this morning has a different set of circumstances. You have a different set of relationships, a different set of, of challenges in your life. What do you need God's grace for? Is your life truly a godly, disciplined life? If it is truly filled with faith and investing in God's kingdom, those needs can be met with all sufficiency in all things. All sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He's cast his bread upon the water. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. This is speaking of a bountiful Christian life. This is speaking of a life that's filled with God's grace. And as we, as we release our attachment to these physical things, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's energies, whether it's possessions, as we release our attachment to them and invest them in God's kingdom, they become a grace in our life. Whether it may return to you a hundredfold in money if you need that, if God sees that as your need, whether it's, it's blessings on your relationship, whether it's blessings on your, on your family, on your church. I want to look at this in, in three different segments. I want to look at our own personal relationship or our own personal account with God. We have a bank account with God. We have a personal checking account with God in heaven. I believe that also, in a, in, in, in a sense, we also as families have a family account. And I believe that even our church has a church account. I really believe that God sees us individually as a person. He also sees us corporately as a family, and he sees us corporately as a church, as a union together. How is my personal bank account in heaven? Is it strong? Is it, is it thriving? Is it growing? How about my family account? Do we corporately as a family reach out and invest? Here's a, uh, here's a verse, <clears throat> it's 1 Corinthians 16, 15, says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it was the first fruit of Achaia, and they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now this speaking of a family here, that they have a household, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's a good addiction, isn't it? We have a lot of negative addictions in our world, but this family, this household was addicted to the ministry of the saints. And that addiction was, in, was, was developing a family bank account in heaven with God. Go on here in Luke 14. Jesus, Jesus said, uh, speaking of 
of inviting people to dinner or to supper. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, it says, Call not thy friends or thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they bid thee again and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense you. Because that investment made it all the way to heaven. That family investment of inviting the poor, those that didn't have the ability to return that blessing to you, made it into heaven. That's a family account. There's many ways to make investments. It's not just money. We give up things of our time, our personal interests. We show, show, show interest and spend time with our families, with our wives, with, with, with the church, with brethren. When we take away from our own personal interest and we put interest in our brother, that's an investment. That's an investment in God's kingdom. And God sees that. I don't know if God himself personally has a computer or if he just operates on a totally different structure up there, but maybe he even has angels keeping account. I don't know. He has angels that are messengers, so he may have accountants up there also. But whatever the, the case, Jesus said it's secure, and nobody's making any, any typos or any kind of errors up there. They have it secure. They know how many zeros to add to that number too because he said it's going to be a hundredfold. So when we invest in God's kingdom, it's a grace. It's a spiritual power. It's an influence in godliness. You know, some people, when you get around them, you just sense that they're godly. There's just a godliness about them. There's an aura that comes off of their, off of their expression that says this is, a, this, is a, this is a godly person. He's a spiritual person. And I think some of that has to do with that account that we have with God. Are we a God? When our presence comes into a room, you know, maybe the foolishness, maybe the cursing, maybe whatever it is that's ungodly is, is stopped because there's a sense that God's presence there because God sends his presence along with his investment. And God's power is along with that investment. That investment enters our life. I believe Jesus had an investment. I believe Jesus had an account. I think he had an un, unlimited account. I think he had a direct debit account to heaven itself. And when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples, he said, just, he just gave me a debit account and said, go for it. You can cast out devils. You can heal the sick. Just draw from my account. Did you ever wonder why this woman that came up and touched Jesus on the hem of, her, of his garment, why Jesus noticed it? He said, somebody's making a draw on my account. That's what he said. He said I, he felt that from him virtue had healed her. There was a draw made on him, but he had the power in his account. It didn't deplete his account. The disciples tried to heal that, that child. They did insufficient funds. You know, it wouldn't, he wouldn't come out. Jesus had to say, this one doesn't come out. You guys need to spend some time in prayer and fasting. Your account doesn't throw this one out. Jesus, of course, was able to cast him out. But Jesus had a bank account, and each one of us has our own bank account. That's a little bit of my supposition there, so don't treat it like Bible, but <clears throat> you're welcome to search it out. But I think that each one of us has 
a personal account, and I believe as a family we can have an account. I, th- I think our whole family can be blessed of God as we join together in service, as, as the house of Stephanus did in the ministry of the saints, addicting themselves to the ministry of the saints, inviting the poor in and blessing them as a family. There's something that you can do as a family that's even greater than you can do as an individual. And last of all, I also want to talk about our church account. There's a verse here in Philippians 4.14 says, Notwithstanding, Paul speaking to the Philippians, he says, Notwithstanding, ye have done well that you did communicate with my afflictions. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He said, you all were faithful in, in meeting my needs like no other. For even in Thessalonica, you once and again sent unto my necessity. He said, not because I desired this gift. Not that I desired a gift, but I, I desire fruit that, that may abound to your account. He's saying your church account needs to have some investment. He said, and that act that you did as a church... In, in supporting me as, a, as an apostle, it brought fruit into your account. It, it, made a, it made a deposit into your church account. It made you richer as a church. He says, but I have all and I abound. I am full and I have received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. He's saying that, that account, that, that investment made it all the way into your account. God was pleased with it. <clears throat> Well-pleasing to God. We have an account with God. And, uh, and each one of us, by faith, draw on that account. If you're having struggles in your life, check your life. Are you investing in, maybe your account's running dry. Maybe you haven't spent time in prayer. Maybe you haven't haven't been uh, investing in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is rich. Many people are in poverty. There's no need that you be in poverty. God's not stingy. A little investment, he said, goes a long way. With God, a small investment reaps huge rewards. So will we continue to be penniless in the kingdom of God? Will our life have no influence on our peers, on our, on, our, on, our, on our churches, on our friends? Or will there be a sense of power there, of grace there to, to meet that need, to bless that person? Here in Revelation 13, 7, 17, 3, 17, in closing, it says, Because thou sayest thou art rich, this is speaking to the church of Laodicea, uh, what some consider the, the, the last time, end time church. It says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Why were they saying that? Because they were rich physically and outwardly. They said, we are rich. We are increased with goods. Yes, they were increased with goods. It was because that they physically were this way. They were saying this. And knowest not that thou art wretched knows not that your bank account is flat broke. You're wretched, you're blind, you're miserable, and you're poor and you're naked. You're so broke you don't even have clothes to wear. What does he say? 
I counsel you to buy new clothes? No. He says, I counsel thee to, to buy of me gold. How do you buy gold? How do you put gold in heaven? He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's saying you can take that same blessing that you have in the material world on earth and you can change that into a spiritual blessing by investing it in the kingdom of God. They had much they could have invested. God had invested in this Laodicean church much physical blessing, yet they were hoarding it to themselves instead of reaching out and ministering. He says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, spiritually rich, that your bank account in heaven would become large. I counsel you to buy of me gold that you get some real riches and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. When we pour our blessings, when we pour our, our, our energies, our uh, investments into the kingdom of God, our time, our, our interest, when we have spare time, do we grab up a, a popular mechanics book or do, or do we, or do we pick up a, a book that will help us invest in God's kingdom? Maybe understanding how to minister to others. Maybe we can find a book or maybe just, just the word of God. We can invest time in God's kingdom, become rich. You know, the opposite's also true. As we invest in the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. Our eternal bank account goes broke as we invest in the flesh instead of invest in the spirit. So that's for this first session, that's my counsel to us. Let's look at it. Are we investing in God's kingdom? Is our investment secure? Our investment in God is always secure. Let's be wise in this life. Let's take the gold like this Laodicean church had much gold, had much physical Asset, many physical assets. They, God is telling them the end time church, which I believe we're here, the end time church. Let's don't become wealthy in physical goods. Let's get, get wealthy in heavenly goods. Let's not be a physical, earthly miser and a pack rat. Let's be a heavenly miser and a pack rat. Let's put it up there and let's use it and invest it in God's kingdom. God gave it to you. Take that bread Cast it on the waters. You don't see that it'll ever come back to you, do you? That's an act of faith. It's giving. That's what it is to serve God and, and believe in God's kingdom. It's an act of faith. Not just believing that God saved you from hell and eternity, but believe that God sees what you do in His name and in His kingdom. That's what faith is must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what faith is. So that's my challenge for us this morning. We have a personal account. We have a family account. We have a church account. Let's be people. Let's be families. Let's be churches that invest in God's kingdom by faith. This promise of Jesus Christ, no matter what anybody tells you or how everybody has misused it to try to fill their own pockets is still true. People can't take God's truth and twist them around and make them useless. They're still true if you apply them in the right way and understand what God is saying to us. You need grace in your life. 
Invest in God's kingdom. He said he's going to give it to you a hundredfold. The next session we want to look at what has to be the motive for giving in order for that investment to reach heaven. So I'll close with that. May God bless you.